Hello, I'm George Deegan, a partner at EY, and welcome to our CFO Outlook podcast. In this series, we'll feature some of Ireland's leading CFOs. They'll share interesting perspectives on a range of topics, from driving growth in their business to leading major finance transformation. In this episode, we'll welcome Miles O'Grady, Group CFO and Executive Director of Bank of Ireland. From supporting their customers through the pandemic to preparing for Brexit, Let's hear from Miles about the challenges and opportunities in the current environment. Over to you, Vincent. Thanks indeed, George. I'm really looking forward to talking to Miles in just a few moments. But first, I'm delighted to be joined by Danny Buckley, Financial Services Partner, EY. Danny, it seems CFOs are taking an increasingly strategic role in driving both the future direction and growth of their organisations. Is this something you're seeing across the financial services sector generally? Very much so. If I take a little bit of a step back, first of all, and bring you through the history around financial services, everyone will remember the last financial crisis. And at that point, the CFO's focus was very much getting the numbers right. It was conservation of capital. It was making sure that cost spending was under control and, you know, finance functions had to lead from the front. And so when we took a little bit of a temperature check uh, this time last year to see where CFOs were now in financial services, we noted that, you know, one out of 10 CFOs were saying that actually their business processes were automated. Uh, we, th- we saw that six out of 10 CFOs were spending too much time on financial reporting and the operational side of financial reporting. Uh, that meant that they weren't able to focus on strategic priorities. And then, obviously, CFOs liked to focus on costs and cost was on the agenda. And over the next five years, like CFOs are seeing that that's going to go up substantially more than any other priority. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that the focus is very much on strategy. However, I think there's a need for CFOs to rebalance the books, to focus on the future and to spend, have to spend less time on reporting on the past. And that's really what I think is a key focus for CFOs. And are those trends happening to some degree because we are in less of a crisis situation than we were 10 or 12 years ago, but also because, as you say, the influence of technology that's automating a lot of the, I suppose, the more routine elements of a CFO's role? It is. Yeah, I agree completely. Like Technology now, 74% of CFOs are saying that whenever they embrace uh, technology, they're finding they become more relevant around their organisation. So technology has moved forward rapidly. There's great opportunities in data around financial reporting. And with that, then CFOs can actually take that, use it and become exactly what the business want. Someone bringing insight to their business and how they can take their business forward. And from your engagement with the CFOs in with CFOs in the financial services sector generally, do you think that more balanced role as it unfolds will actually be more rewarding for them? For CFOs, for their senior leadership, for their teams, focusing on the future and not actually delivering the past and the historical financial information is a much more rewarding position to be in. And teams, instead of being buried in spreadsheets, can be involved in actually the the looking forward, the predicting the future, going to their business with insight as to what their, their business might do in the future. That's all really, really powerful stuff for a team and for a CFO. And for a CFO at the board meetings, at the Exco meetings, all of those meetings. Danny Buckley, thanks indeed. Thanks very much, Vincent. And now I'm delighted to be joined by Miles O'Grady, Group CFO and Executive Director of Bank of Ireland. Miles, you're very welcome. Thank you very welcome much, to Vincent. Welcome to this uh, podcast series. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Now, you are in the role of CFO at Bank of Ireland for what, just over a year, yeah. but you have more than 30 years service in the banking and financial services sector generally. Um, talk to us a little bit about your career and whether you think that range of experience uh, has prepared you well for, for your current role. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to believe actually that that thirty years have gone by. They seem to have gone by quite quickly. Um, but I have a, I would say, a pretty diverse um, career background. It's been grounded in financial services, but I've worked um, outside of Ireland for for quite a while, and also in Ireland, I've worked for uh, UK traditional investment banks. Um, uh, Dresden Climate Benson, as an example, I've worked for Citibank, so those big US corporations. And of course, I spent, I had two tours of duty with AIB, firstly when I left college, um, and then most recently I did 12 years from, from 07 to, to, uh, to 18, um, and then I gravitated my way to, um, to Bank of Ireland. Yeah, so, so quite a diverse uh, background, even though grounded in, in financial services, for sure, yeah. And that range of experience, and, and including you know, working with the, the other team down the road, yeah. uh, do you think it's prepared you well? And I know you were in, in charge of investor relations for a long time as well. It's prepared you for, the, for the, the various aspects of being a CFO? Yeah, I believe so. And look, I think uh, there, are, there are people out there who have spent their career you know, working in Ireland or working for one, one company, and that's totally fine. I mean, but I do think the idea of... of um, Experiencing different cultures, different different corporate cultures, is important, and I found that for me to be very beneficial. And certainly for AIB, I think you know, um, I joined uh, my second tour with AIB. I joined in in two thousand and seven, just before things got really difficult. So there might yeah. be a, a something career, happened back then. Yeah, yeah, there might be a career choice question there for me. But um, and I was there for you know for for almost twelve years. And I suppose um, what was interesting about that is um, I experienced. AIB at its lowest point. And I remember um, meeting European Commission officials in 2010 and uh, the line was, you know, unless only because you are so important to the um, Irish economy, you know, we'd happily see you uh, run down, right? So, you know, that's quite a sobering hmm. uh, experience. But actually then uh, from that low point, that, that hard work with a bunch of people, you know, um, guys and girls who worked really hard, right through to um, a successful IPO um, in 2017. Um, and so almost experiencing um, the lowest point, working really hard and right through to a very positive high point of an IPO. And I think that's been really good experience for me. Um, and I've had a very interesting year with, <laughs> with Bank of Ireland and it's been different than I thought it would be. And certainly the challenge of COVID, I do think that my experience previously has been really helpful for coping with that. We'll come back to COVID in a minute, obviously, because it, it dominates a lot of the conversation at the moment. But we, we heard from Danny there earlier about the, the changing role of the CFO, I suppose, from one who, who I suppose, is, is very much focused and almost solely focused on financial management and, and regulatory and, and historic reporting in yes. whatever form to a much more strategic role, looking forward to the strategic direction of the company and resource planning. Is that something you're finding in your role at Bank of Ireland? Absolutely. And, and at the CFO role, is evolving. Now, I do think it's important so to say that um, uh, a fundamental role, I believe, of a good CFO clearly is the protection of capital, right, and the sustainable generation of capital into the future. And so uh, that's always going to be an absolute pillar of that role. Um, so that would be absolutely your priority still? Absolutely, yeah. And I think the word sustainable is important. It's about long-term sustainable growth um, for the business. Now, having said that, with that as, as, a, as an anchor, you know, um, my view on the CFO role, and I kind of, it's not to be too structured about it, but I see four areas that are really important how, how I think about it. 
One is there's that kind of stewardship, that financial control, um, you know, uh, protecting the assets of the company, um, having the right and control environment. And of course, any good CFO uh, won't look for any brownie points for that. That's a, that should be a given. Um, but then you have uh, strategy, right? And I certainly, that's an area that I particularly enjoy. Um, I really like the idea of thinking about where a company can be in three or five years' time, what the environment can look like. And I'm, yeah, I'm very happy to, to get involved in that and have done so. Um, the third component is um, uh, the commercial lens. So being able to take that strategy and translate it into really good commercial decisions. So working with the business teams and again, comfortable in that zone. And lastly, uh, and probably particularly important uh, for, for banking and banking right now is relationships with important stakeholders. So, so a strong rapport with, with board members is really important. Um, uh, that investor relations piece is absolutely critical and probably really important, particularly right now, given where bank stocks are at. And of course, our regulators, um, that trust relationship with our regulators is really important. So they're the kind of four areas that I think are particularly important for, you know, a good CFO these days. Just picking up on that relationship and engagement with the board, who are obviously you know, have a stu- uh, an objective stewarding role. What What is the nature of that engagement? Because at, at one level, you, you, you need to be close as CFO of a large organisation, but at the other end, they have, they have, they have a, a stewarding role as well over you and all your colleagues. Indeed, yeah. And so uh, um, there's a couple of aspects to it. Um, one is that, uh, so if you take a typical board, there's normally a couple of executive directors, so the CEO and the CFO, the first thing, of course, is that those two roles act as a conduit between the board and the senior, broader senior um, management team. So that's really important, right? So that so that those two executive directors are able to articulate how the board thinks about the world, um, because often you can have a mismatch. Two, absolutely, I, I see it as being a um, so they're my fellow board members, but I um, it's important for me that they see me as being a trusted advisor to them, that I can give them objective advice and you know a, a non-executive board director is a hard role you know you come in through a very narrow lens whatever once a month or once every two months you're asked to consume a lot of information and hold a view on that so I see my role as being able to help them with that process and help them understand where the bank is at and you know what's really important what's less important um, and again like most things it comes down to good relationships. And would that be an ongoing informal process between board meetings or is it generally done around the formal regular board meetings? So it's both. And so I think, um, uh, uh, of course, we have the formality of board meetings um, uh, uh, and they're entirely appropriate and important. But I think uh, my experience um, uh, is that the relationships that um, can exist outside of the boardroom are really important. And being able to, you know, for example, if I have a concern that I can pick up the the, uh, the phone, say to the chair of the audit committee, for me, it would be an important one. Or indeed, a board member can say, Miles, you know, I wasn't really sure about what that paper meant. Can you can you just give me 20 minutes to understand this? I'm sure that doesn't happen very often. And of course not. But every now and then, right? So again, that point around very complex topics and, and board members having a narrow lens in. In terms of the, the, the strategic uh, element of your role and as, we, as we've discussed of, of CFOs generally, does that involve um, modelling 
a range of scenarios on an ongoing basis, like the, the impact of, of technological change, obviously not just for your own operations within the bank, but in terms of how your customers are, are, are engaging with you as well. The likes of, of the changing competitive and economic environment and, of course, that whole and, and very broad area now of sustainability generally. Yeah, and of course, um, uh, <laughs> complemented by the fact that we're in uncertain times and, and there's a lot, a lot of change out there right now. So, so the... Um, I think this idea of that we can land on one particular outcome for the future with confidence, those days are gone or certainly that environment right now doesn't exist. So it is important that um, as senior executives and as a CFO that we are aware, increasingly aware of the external environment we're in. Think about um, banking in in Ireland. What are the key fundamentals? Will the mortgage market grow? Will housing supply grow? come online. Um, what is, what's the sentiment going to be with business customers? We know Brexit has been um, a negative factor, understandably, for a business customer to be a little bit careful about whether they invest. Um, COVID, clearly, right? And then even aside from that, we think about the future of banking, the technology advancement, the role of fintechs. Um, how do we think that's going to play out? So I do think, um, and you know, some of my finance colleagues will know, they, they've heard me say this many times, that when we do our financial projections, you know, give me a range of outcomes and then tell me what's the confidence level that we can land within a, a particular range. Um, and I do think that idea of just a broader view of the world, where could we end up, and also more short-term planning because there's a heightened level of change. Where will we be in three months, six months, nine months, and of course, where will we be in three years' time? What is your current view of the short and medium term outlook for the Irish economy and and how do you overlay that view with risk assessment? Yeah, and so look, um, we can't talk about the Irish economy without talking about COVID. That is the world we we live in right now. And I suppose um, when we talk about COVID, we should also say that... um, COVID has had a huge impact for people in, in Ireland, of course, across the world, um, both from a medical perspective, of course, and also financially. Um, and I just, I'm, we are very mindful of that when we think about our engagements with customers and how we interact with our employees as well. So that's just, just a, a backdrop. Now, we know, we know that in quarter two, GDP fell by 6.1%. I, I think I'm right in saying that's the biggest ever decline experienced. Um, and... We know that sectors like hospitality um, and leisure are struggling. We know car, the car industry is having a tough time. We know that non-grocery retail is having a tough time. But equally, there are other sectors that are doing better. Uh, essential manufacturing is performing quite well. Um, the agri-sector, which of course can be volatile for loads of reasons, its long-term prospects are good. Um, and also uh, technology, particularly cloud technology, are areas where we've seen, so even though our lending is down in Bank of Ireland, understandably because of COVID, we're seeing those sectors as being areas that are still attracting investment and capital and requiring for funding. So where does it go to? So um, I, you know, I think if we were having this conversation maybe three or four months ago, we would have said 2020 is a year um, of COVID and then we'll recover next year. That clearly won't be the case. I think we're going to experience COVID in 2021. Um, I do believe and hope that 2022 is a recovery year um, and that almost 2023 is the um, the year that we almost get back to where we were prior to COVID. And you think about it, that's a, that's a 
that's a three to four year period to recover from, you know, this crisis. And that's, that's quite, a, I think, an Italian point that it does take, take so long. In terms of risk appetite, you know, um, uh, we haven't changed our risk policies in, in Bank of Ireland. We, um, uh, we talk about viability in Bank of Ireland. Part of that is lending. We're out there to lend. We see we have a very strong role to play in re- rebooting the um, economy. We want to play a, a role in that. And so, of course, we are very careful about our risk appetite. I think, actually, Bank of Ireland has a particularly good track record in, in that, that regard. Uh, but against that context, for sure, you know, we want to be an active participant in the market. That said, it must be very difficult, both in terms of the, you know, the large sectors of the Irish economy, many of your customers and other banking customers, obviously, that are in very difficult times now. And, and, and we're not clear at this stage when and how and how many will get back to what we would see as normal trading. And then... You know, in terms of new lending to, to to sectors at risk, there must be a a fine balance to walk, and and that you'll have to walk for some time still between trying to be as supportive as possible, with the encouragement of government as well, of course, uh, to be as supportive as, as possible for individual customers, for sectors, yeah. and yet trying not to expose the bank. Yeah, I mean for sure, and so that 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 is um, that's good uh, credit risk discipline that a, that a bank should have, and 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 certainly is tested in, a, in an economic de- downturn. But I do think, to take your point about those sectors that are in difficulty, I mean, our, the first intervention um, by the banking sector um, in, with, in coordination with our regulators and indeed the government was the provision of payment breaks. So 105,000 payment breaks provided by Bank, Bank of Ireland. Um, and uh, of that, so 15,000 were our SME customers. Now they've fallen down now to three thousand. That's a that's a uh, you know not to be overly uh, optimistic about it, but that's a positive indicator. So, out of those fifteen thousand business customers, twelve thousand have gone back onto in the main normal repayment terms. That's a, a reasonably good indicator of how they are coping. But there are sectors that are struggling. They're the ones that I that I referred to, uh, and certainly, um, if those sectors are experiencing difficulty. Um, um, my best advice to them is make contact with your bank early and quickly. Um, you know, because of the last financial crisis, um, you know, banks and particularly Bank of Ireland have built up a strong team of people who are who are very familiar with dealing with customers who are in some element of financial distress. And there's a range of solutions, whether they're short term or long term. And so, um, from a bank perspective, it's a kind of a trend twin track approach. One is to work with those customers who are in difficulty to try and give them the right solutions, but also be there for those other sectors that want to grow and expand and take advantage to be there to provide credit. On on top of the the you know the relatively bleak situation in Ireland and, and elsewhere because of COVID, uh, with Brexit of course as well, for the foreseeable future, that 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 threat and that unknown, we have a, an era of historic low interest rates, which yeah. may continue for some time, and which of course constrains banking profitability generally. Because of that, you know, uh, is Bank of Ireland going to have to? amend its its strategic priorities that it set out back in what 2018 particularly yeah. particularly that one of of achieving 10% return on equity by by next year by by 2021 yeah i mean it, it's it's absolutely um a challenge and it's a challenge for for all banks across the eurozone there's some very good research out there regarding the banks across the system that feel they're going to get to a 10% return uh, on equity. And I, 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 I could have a debate with an investment banker as to whether 10% is the right number or not. Mm. But putting that, putting that aside, you know, more banks 
most banks don't believe they're going to get to a 10% return in a medium-term time frame. Now, for Bank of Ireland, where are we at? So if I just for a second park COVID, just for a moment, because um, back in February, uh, you know, we communicated to the market that... Um, that the reality of things like the rate, the low rate environment, right? And we understand why there are low rates. It's driven by ECB policy to, to promote growth. That's a good thing, but it does have an impact on banks. So, so the low rate environment was being was having a negative impact. Credit formation was subdued largely because of um, Brexit, um, and therefore, you know, we believed that the steps that we had to take, which was to continue with growing credit, we had a good year in nineteen. We grew our balance sheet by two billion. Um, uh, supported by the mortgage market, supported by business sentiment, cutting costs safely is a key factor, part of our strategy, but also growing our our non-interest income. So we have a fantastic wealth and insurance platform through our New Ireland business. And that was a that's an opportunity for us to grow. Now, COVID essentially um, has the ability to slow down the credit formation, but actually it presents the wealth and insurance opportunity in a new light that we should try and exploit that as much as we can. And it does also bring to bear a focus that we need to be, you know, continue with the, the good progress we've made in reducing cost and go further. And, you know, you, you, you know, the, um, your listeners may be aware of our, we announced um, last week that we're going to go further on cost reduction. We had a successful voluntary severance scheme and that's a very good... good about, about 1,700 people going to leave you over the next year or so? so yeah, so we'll, it's, a, it's a 40% reduction now. It's important to say, as you say, that's going to happen over you know, a 15 to 18 month period. So it means we can align those departures with with initiatives to create efficiency and make sure we don't have a negative impact on customers. But costs will be really important for banks and certainly Bank of Ireland have had good progress and we will continue to do so. And in terms of that ongoing focus on cost um, and, and, and also in the light of continued technological change and the increasing trans- transfer of people to, to digital engagement with their financial services, uh, companies, where do you see the branch network over the next 10 years? Uh, will that understandably continue to be pared down? So, I mean, first of all, maybe just step back a little bit on, on, on transformation and what the banks, what Bank of Ireland has been doing. So, um, whilst we have been taking cost out, we've also been investing. That's really important. Right? So, we have a, um, a, a 1.4 billion transformation budget from 2015 right through to 2021. We're on track, first of all, to stay within that, right? So that's a CFO comment, as you might expect. Uh, but we're also getting the benefits um, uh, of it. And so this year, we, we launched uh, a new mobile app. We've launched Google Pay, Apple Pay. Um, to my daughter's delight about Apple Pay, by the way. Yeah, fantastic, right? So, you know, and um, and also back to my point about wealth and insurance, right? So we've, we have a new uh, pension platform uh, portal for brokers. So those investments are really important. Um, now, to your particular point around what does transformation mean and what does the digital agenda mean for, for, for bank branches. So um, I believe that uh, there will always be a need for a branch presence um, for a bank that presents itself as being a national champion bank, as Bank of Ireland does. Now, it's a fluid uh, uh, point because sometimes we need more branches, sometimes we, might, we may need less. It depends on the demographics. Um it also depends on the size, you know, so and also from a CFO lens, um, actually cutting branches doesn't save you a huge amount of cost, right? Honestly, just to look at it through that yeah, narrow lens alone. Yeah, 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 right. So so a lot of our branches could have 
you know, two or three um, um, employees. We typically own the premises, right? So it's not a, a huge gain to be had. And so what's what's more important, I think, is um, the customer behaviours will determine the branch footprint. Um, and actually, if I think about COVID as an example, um, and linking it to our transformation investment, where actually we were able to pivot back in March very quickly uh, to a more uh, agile ways of working. So, for example, 70% of our workforce works from home. I have been in our headquarters, I'd say, possibly five days since March. I've been working from home, right? Um, and, and equally, our customers' behaviours have changed, um, adopting a more online presence. Um, and I think that is definitely, A, what I feel that's a positive for us because it, it's a demonstration that the investments we've made are working, that we could pivot so quickly. And secondly, it does represent, I think, an increasing change in customer behaviours into the future. But branches are still important and they will remain. You referenced the important and, and, and I think growing target market for, for banks and financial services uh, companies generally, the whole wealth management area uh, and New Ireland is an important asset that you have for that. Would you be in the market to acquire further uh, assets in that sphere? Well, so certainly you know, when we do our... Um, our three-year uh, strategic plans and the one you, you referenced back to that went to, that we announced in 2018, um, you know, that was a, a strategy that was underpinned by transforming the bank itself from an internal perspective. We talk about serving customers brilliantly, so having a better customer experience for our customers uh, and also growing sustainable profits. Now, we've made good progress in that despite the fact that we've had headwinds from things like COVID and, and Brexit. So, um, and I think that the wealth and insurance platform, that, and we've invested heavily in that, um, uh, is going to be really important. We've seen the, the penetration of, of, uh, of bank customers to our wealth and insurance business grow. It was in the low 20s a number of years ago. It's now up close to 35%. So it's a lot of bank customers now are revealing are of our wealth and insurance products through our New Ireland offering. So, so the growth in the wealth and insurance is going to come from that organic investment we've made. Having said that, as I would always say, if there's an opportunity out there, we would always look at it, and we would look at the, you know, the financials. And it's, it, you know, when I think about M and A, I think about first of all, is it a strategic fit? Uh, two, can we operationally integrate it? Um, and thirdly, does it work financially? Uh, and I would always have an open mind to that. Okay, you're conducting a. a a review of your operations in the UK. To what degree are you across that as CFO? Oh, very much so. And, um, you know, uh, you, I, you mentioned I'm in the job a year and <laughs> I would have put my stall out for how I thought I could um, make a very positive impact. Um, I let others judge that, but certainly I put my stall out there. And one of those was most definitely around the um, uh, uh, the UK business. And I worked in the UK for, for some time, so I have a a little bit of an affinity f- uh, for it. Um, and I do think that uh, it's a tough environment in the UK for banks right now. Um, there's a lot of liquidity and capital washing around the system, which means that uh, the large incumbent banks over there are pricing their products down considerably. So it's tough to compete. Funding costs are tough. So acknowledging that, um, uh, you know, the work that I've done with my colleagues in the UK and with Francesco, CEO, is to think, well, what is the, rather than approaching the UK from a volume perspective, let's think about it from a returns perspective. So I'm comfortable that we could have a smaller 
balance sheet in the UK, but a much stronger return. And that means possibly being less active in mainstream mortgages, i.e. let's not compete with the larger banks because they have operational efficiency because they're bigger and they have a lower funding cost base than we have over there. Uh, going into more niche business, we've had very initial but very good success in what we call niche mortgages. So you have professional customers in the UK, you know, solicitors, um, board directors of their own business, um, who typically don't always get a good experience with the larger banks. Um, in their so a more bespoke yes, market. Yes, sorry, exactly, yeah. And that's an area that is that is going well for us. And so that's my point around. We can, we can, uh, we can play a very important role in a, with, a, with, a, with a more focused lens um, rather than a broader lens that delivers um, better returns for the overall group. When would you expect that review to be complete? Uh, it's underway. I mean, uh, right now, I mean, so we, you know, we, we took a strategy to the board back in June. Um, we got a good endorsement for that. We gave an update to, to the market um, as part of our results in, in August. And we'll look forward to giving another update in February. But we're making good, good progress indeed. You mentioned the whole uh, digital transformation of the of the bank and and an enormous investment by yourselves and others in in, in putting huge new uh, digital platforms in place. It's a big investment and, and technology changes all the time. Could you see a time where banks generally share digital platforms uh, and share the investment required, but obviously brand their services separately on? Yeah, I mean, so there, there certainly is opportunities and there's examples of it in other jurisdictions where banks have come together to put, put forward a common platform. Um, now, I, I do think that particularly in Ireland, it's quite a concentrated market anyway. There's a relatively small number of players. So uh, would it have the, the bank for book that it, it may have in, in other jurisdictions? Not, not convinced on that. Um, entirely, but again, you know, always open for that discussion. I I do think that um, on the broader digital point, and and linking it to uh, the emergence of 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 fintechs and you know new entrants into the marketplace. Um, um, you know, legacy banks or traditional banks have been traditionally slow to to change. I think I can say that, um, and that's because the old model was a balance sheet that drove off an annuity every year with no real pressure to, to change. That's not where we're at right now, okay? And, and I think that the, the emergence of fintechs and the emergence of small challenger banks actually, in some ways, is a force for good because it is, it's, 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 it makes it compelling for banks, banks like Bank of Ireland, to, um, to take on the digital challenge um, and, and make progress with that. And so... Almost, I think that's been a force for good. We don't take competition lightly, clearly not. But as an, as an agent of change, it's been a good thing. In terms of your strategic planning, though, how much of a threat do you think these digital challengers are, particularly in terms of, of winning over younger customers? Now, at the moment, that is principally, I suppose, a, a payment transactional basis and, and, and credit cards and that kind of stuff. But if those digital challengers actually started to say, look, we can sell you mortgages and other stuff yeah. as well, uh, is that a threat? Do you think? No. So, so again, um, it would be it, w- it would be naive not to take that threat seriously. Um, uh, now, if we step back from a second, what what are what are banks good at doing? We're good at taking risk. Don't always get it right. We know that, but that's our that's our skill set. Okay. So so that that professional risk taking, I think, is a 
is a unique selling point, and we shouldn't forget that as, a, as an incumbent. Secondly, um, the very complex regulatory relationship you know, that 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 is that's been built up over time. So I think they're going to be very important um, uh, pillars of of how we protect ourselves. Also, um, I do think that much of the fintechs is biased towards the payments, right? And so that's not to make light of that, but that is where the... But the it's low-hanging fruit to a degree? Yeah, no, for sure. It, it is. Now, equally, we also know that um, our research tells us that um, if, you, if you have your current account with us, there's a good chance that um, you'll take a, a, a lending prop product from us. So, for example, if I bring all of that together, if you have a current account with... Um, so... so so seven out of our 10 mortgages that we write, typically the customer banks with, um, with Bank of Ireland. And even if they've come via a broker, it's interesting, okay? So there's, there's a trust factor there. Secondly, then, um, when we sell a mortgage, um, back to that point about the wealth and insurance uh, linkage and penetration, for every 10 mortgages we sell, we typically sell uh, seven uh, have a life um, product, and three have an insurance product. So, so that, that, that's a strong place for us to be. I think that combined with driving our, um, our efficiency back to that safe cost cutting and continuing to invest in our digital propositions is the best defense we have uh, from the emerging threats of fintechs. So it's a reality for us. We take it seriously. And I think we're doing all the right things to position us in the right place. We know there's an ongoing debate about banking culture generally, and we, we won't get into the details of that. I think everybody knows where that debate has come from, and, and the banks have, have, have acknowledged that change is required. But do you think in terms of that that land grab, for, for particularly for younger customers uh, through the next decade or so, that whole area of trust, as you mentioned, and, and reputational, brand reputation, is going to be critical for, for the large banks as well? I, I think it is. And so um, there is great research out there. There's a, a study of, um, of a postgrad um, bunch of students from Trinity College who were asked about, you know, what was their view on banking, what did they want, what did they didn't want. And, and all of them wanted to have, have a trusted relationship with their bank. So, so you're talking about, you know, highly educated individuals um, who still feel the strong need to connect with their bank. And so trust, I think, is entirely um, important, and I think about um, the you know the the last financial crisis we had in Ireland, and even though it's ten years on, it still casts a shadow today. I think it's fair to say that, right, to some extent. But then I think about almost uh, the opportunity that that COVID has presented, and as much as 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 difficult as COVID is, it has presented an opportunity for for banks like Bank of Ireland to to be part of the solution. Back to that point about the provision of payment breaks, being able to do that quickly on an, on an industry level and also being, being there to reboot the economy as well. So I, I think trust will, will continue to be a really important factor. And I do think that um, despite the challenges the banks have had, that trust factor is, is fundamentally strong with our customers. And do you think that remains a critical factor in terms of, I suppose, for most people, for most couples, their biggest ever financial commitment, a mortgage, which is central to the market for so many of our retail banks. That that price isn't the only factor. We've seen that price is in, increasingly competitive, but, but that trust as to where I'm going to, you know, in terms of yeah. the customer relationship for a 20 or 30 year investment, that that is still important. It, unreservedly. And so pricing is important, but it's not the most important. 
and 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 I would say it's the Bank of Ireland competes in the marketplace. And um, I, I feel we have a very nice balance between maintaining pricing discipline. I can link that to our discussion on the low rate environment. So again, my CFO role there about maintaining discipline, but we are competing appropriately in the, in the marketplace. But um, uh, when we look at what drives a customer to take on a mortgage, uh, the first one is their relationship with the bank. That That's the number one. And two is that the belief that the bank will deliver on their commitment. So if they if they make an offer in principle, that they can trust that bank to follow through. And that it will be, you know, like like you say, for those big life-changing events or life commitments we make, that, that it's going to be uh, handled very well by the bank. And, you know, I, I can also link that back to our discussion on transformation where we've, we've invested heavily in in making our mortgage, what we call our mortgage journey, uh, frictionless, much more easier than it would have been, say, you know, five, seven, seven years ago. So price is important. It is. We have to compete. But um, but trusting our bank and, and knowing that a customer knows that, well, the bank will deliver on their commitments um, to, to, to provide that mortgage, I think, as an example, is a, is a, is a good one. And just widening that theme a little bit, to what degree in terms of the decisions that you and your team take, both in the short term and, and longer strategic term, to what degree do you have to take into account what your we won't name them, but you you worked there for a while. The, the, you know what what moves and steps your your major competitors are going to take in the same space. Absolutely, I mean, so I mean, I, 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 we do think about. So we will think very carefully about our pricing model, uh, how we want to compete, and so uh, um, as an example, uh, factually, you know, Bank of Ireland have led out on a fixed price product in the mortgage market. Um, for loads of reasons, that's worked for us. We think it's right for our customers as well. It reduces the risk for you as well, doesn't it? Because it, it, it ties yeah, you into the bond market. And it, it does, and that's that's back to the point about being professional risk takers. That's our job. Right? Um, and and the other other big bank, the other competitor, uh, um, for a long time uh, uh, adopted a, a variable rate um, agenda, and that's you know um, that's their, their their choice. Right, but we all make our own decisions here. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we definitely, uh, it's that fine balance between maintaining pricing discipline um, but, but competing in the market's really important. And when I talk to you know, the, my business colleagues, I, I, I give them the analysis of that. You know, um, you may be able to grow market share uh, by cutting a price. But the economics, you've got to grow your market share considerably to pay for a price cut. Um, so it's a fine balance. I can see the numbers remain very much a priority for you as CFO, Miles, and understand, understandably. You referenced earlier how, how small in one way the Irish market is. We know there is a current uh, debate about perhaps one of the major players pulling out of the market and, and what that might mean. How do you see the landscape over the next 10 years? And as, as we move, hopefully, closer to uh, full European banking union and capital yeah. markets union, can you ever see a situation where some of the big European players will look at one or two of the players here and say, we'll take them? Yeah, so so first of all, the, the uh, capital markets union is to be welcomed, you know, unreservedly. So the, the availability of capital and funding uh, more easily to, to, to customers is a good thing. Um, now, there is a debate around um, uh, consolidation in the market, um, generally across Europe, you know the regulator, I think, has a, has a an agenda there as well. Um, they've been at the highest level. They've they've made um, reference to it, and if we think about the low rate environment that we are all um, in at the moment, and and the impact that has on 
on getting to appropriate returns, there is a natural discussion on whether there should be more consolidation in the marketplace. Now, um, what happens? Where does it go? I think, first of all, um, it's going to be, if we do see consolidation, it will be at a domestic level in the first instance. Okay, so um, I don't think um, the environment is massively conducive right now to, to cross-border consolidation. doesn't mean that it won't happen, but right now I think the first step is in, is in domestic um, uh, consolidation, and we've seen you know, some examples of that already. Now, um, if I play that back to Ireland for a second, I, you know, despite the discussions about that other bank that may or may not be, be exiting the market, um, it's a concentrated market um, in Ireland, and and you know I don't I don't think there is huge opportunities to see significant consolidation in the Irish market. I think about that from a com- competition lens um, as well, where the market shares that have been held by you know Bank of Ireland, AIB, and others. Um, in a longer term time frame, could I see um, other banks outside of Ireland doing cross border? Yes, I do. I think that is a that is a reality that could could arise but I don't feel it's there right now. Before we get to the four questions that we're going to ask every CFO that we talk to in, in, in this uh, series, I have one last question for you. Um, what, in your view, are the key dynamics in the relationships between a CFO and a CEO? Or are you still learning that dynamic? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's a, it's a really important relationship. Um, I, you know, I, um, I think there's a couple of aspects to it. I think just the old... Uh, um, the uh, the conventional view that the you know the CEO is sales and marketing focused and the the CFO is numbers focused those lines are becoming appropriately increasingly blurred and that's entirely um, uh, appropriate um, but certainly I think first of all it's really in, uh, important that 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 you like each other and I must say you know, I've had a, had a really good experience in uh, with Bank of Ireland in that, in that regard but two trust is really important yeah, that that is that is I think. Uh, You've heard me mention trust a few times, I think, over the course of this discussion. It's certainly very important to me. Um, and also that certainly within um, closed doors that you can have very honest conversations, you know, where I can say or the CEO can say that went really well or actually, you know what, that didn't go so well. Uh, and here's a point to the left or to the right. Um, that is, that's really important. But I think, I mean, just to that point about the blurring of the relationships. Um, you know, I do about 25% of my time, I, I meet investors thereabouts. Um, I, I joke with, with, with Francesca that um, I could say nothing in the meeting because her, her, her knowledge of the detail and of the numbers is so good. Um, so there's an example of a CEO who's, who's very comfortable in the, um, in the number space. And indeed, I'd, I'd like to think that I could have a, a reasonably good discussion <laughs> on the bank strategy as well. So. No. We have these four questions that we're going to put to all CFOs in, in the series. You're the, you're the first one to take them, Miles. Okay. And the first one is, what did you always want to be when you grew up? Well, um, the truth is that when I grew up, I, I, I won't bore you with the details, but I, but I had a, um, a childhood illness that had me in hospital for about seven years on, on and off. So I saw nurses as angels and, and, and doctors as being these fantastic people. So I wanted to be a doctor until I got to about 14 and then I realised the work that was required to be a doctor, so I changed tack pretty quickly. But um, I, 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 I thrived in school on, on mathematics and accountancy. And back in, you, you, you'll, you may notice, Vincent, back in the 
mid to late 80s, uh, the IFSC was presenting itself. We had all these merchant banks coming into Ireland and I was uh, enthused by that idea. So when I was about 16, I decided that I wanted to work in banking and I wanted to be an accountant. How sad is that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I started my own working life in Bank of Ireland when I was 17, man, but we won't go into that either. <laughs> what do you do to switch off or have you picked up any new hobbies during this lockdown process? So I've heard people uh, talk about doing some fantastic things with their health or, 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 or being deeply intellectual. Unfortunately, I can't, <laughs> I can't say that I, I have. Um, I've, um, I'm big into my swimming, so I really miss that. That's been a, my personal thing to deal with. Um, but I have, um, I don't know if you've heard, there's a, a detective called Harry Bosch. It's a Michael Connolly book series. I read all of those and actually having completed those um, uh, on the recommendation of Terry Prone, who you may know, she pointed me to uh, Robert Parker's Spencer Not novels. There's 47 of them, and I'm on, <laughs> and I'm on book 13 right now. So that's one example of how I switch off. Well, let's hope uh, lockdown eases a little bit before you get to the end of the 47. <laughs> who inspires you most in business or in personal life? Uh, good question. So certainly um, on the business side, I have a lot of time for Warren Buffett. Um, I, 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 one of his quotes that I particularly like is that um, uh, he is fearful when others are greedy and he's greedy when others are fearful. And I like that idea of having a, a kind of contrarian view to where, where the market's at. Uh, and I like what he's done on a, on a philanthropic basis as well. On the personal side, I am a... I, I like tennis a lot. I don't. I play it very badly, but I like to watch it. And I joke with my, with my wife that if, if I didn't have to earn a living, I'd happily navigate my way around the five Grand Slams over the course of a year. But I'm a big fan of uh, Rafa Nadal. I admire him because he is uh, incredibly focused and aggressive on the, on the court and an absolute gentleman off the court. Yeah, good model indeed. A good model indeed. And finally, what one piece of advice would you give to other CFOs that you think they might find useful? Well, if it's only one piece of advice, I would say um, build the best possible team you can around you. Um, and I really mean that. I have a, a great team in Bank, Bank of Ireland. They keep me out of trouble and they frequently make me look good. So that would be my, my best advice. On that uh, wise note, uh, we leave it there. Miles O'Grady, CFO of Bank of Ireland Group. Thanks indeed. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the EY CFO Outlook podcast. We'll be back with more of Ireland's leading CFOs throughout the series. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.